What's going on, family? Good day and welcome to The Faction. It's your man, GB Gerard Bonner, and I hope you guys are doing well. Does anybody have like a WrestleMania hangover? That's kind of how I feel, and I wasn't even physically there. I know if I was physically there, I'd be even more tired than I am now, but the excitement of being tired because of the world of pro wrestling is never a bad thing. Shout out to all of you guys who have continued to support us and join us on this journey as we've been covering all things WrestleMania. We dropped a two-part recap earlier this week. The third part is out now, so I hope you've had a chance to digest all of that. If you haven't, go back and check it out. And of course, you can check it out in all of the spaces where you're listening to us right now. Big shouts to all of you who also join us on the socials at The Faction Show. It is absolutely appreciated. You guys rock and rock hard. So let's just jump in because today we want to talk about some of the fallout from WrestleMania and the ever popular Raw after WrestleMania. In fact, I want to start there. And here's why I want to start there. Because traditionally, the Raw after WrestleMania is the most raucous crowd that you've ever had because, of course, they're off the heels of WrestleMania. It is where a lot of big things happen on the Raw after Mania. Now, this is significant for a couple of reasons. For one, this is the first Raw after Mania that has had an audience in two years. Because if you remember, two years ago was the infamous WrestleMania 36, the first and probably only WrestleMania with no crowd. It was pre-recorded. It was the first two-night WrestleMania. And then, of course, you had the Raw after Mania with no fans, just very different. Last year's two-day WrestleMania was the first WWE event where they actually had fans since the start of the pandemic. That was limited to a crowd of about 25,000 each night. And then from there, it went back to a Monday Night Raw in the Thunderdome with no live audience present. So now we flip the script. Two years later, we're back with the Raw after Mania. Side note, there are going to be spoilers. So if you've not watched Raw yet, you might want to pause this podcast. Or, of course, you can just listen all the way through if you're not concerned about spoilers. With that said, the start of Monday Night Raw, I thought was brilliant. You have Cody Rhodes, who, with all of the things that happened at Mania, I think everybody wanted to hear what Cody had to say. Certainly an emotional promo. He dropped a few gems and a few breadcrumbs that could tell us some pretty important things. And one of them being that the decision to leave AEW was easy, which came as a shocker to me I would have thought it was something that he wrestled with I will just say this so I don't want to add to the pontification that's been out there in terms of why Cody left though I have my thoughts some of which I've shared here I will say this when you find it easy to leave something you created that speaks volumes to what's going on there. Now, that's not saying that AEW is a toxic environment. I'm not saying that at all. I think it's a healthy environment that is needed to be an alternative for WWE. But I think Cody obviously took some time to take a look at his career 
to look at what he's accomplished and to say, what is there left for me to do? And one of the things that I said very early on when the decision was made for him to leave was he had to come to WWE because there was only one thing in his career at this point he had not accomplished, and that was winning the WWE Championship. And so he made that crystal clear on Monday Night Raw in his opening salvo with, again, such a powerful, powerful promo. It was emotional and it's going to be emotional when you talk about your dad. And when you watch this, it's still this is weird. He's been gone from WWE for six years. The last three years of television have been him on AEW with us seeing those images weekly. I did not realize in just such a short period of time just how programmed we had become. So it is actually very surreal still watching Cody Rhodes inside of a WWE ring. Not as stardust, but in the same suit and tie that he would wear as an executive in AEW. It is mind blowing, to say the least, that this is happening. Yet, it makes all the sense in the world. And no matter what Tony Khan did or didn't do, no matter what the Bucks or Kenny or any of the folks in AEW did or didn't do, the fact of the matter is he had put himself in a bit of a corner by choosing not to compete for the AEW championship. And the AEW championship clearly doesn't have the history, the rich history of the WWE title. So understanding all of that, it seems inevitable that Cody will at the very least be fighting for the WWE championship. The when is the question. And I will just go so far as to say this. Let us please not put Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania Backlash. The match itself is too big for such a small pay-per-view. And I call it small because the grandiose nature of WrestleMania and several of the other stadium shows planned this year says to me, no, 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 no. If you're going to have Cody versus Roman, let's build this up and let's do this right. Now, if you look at what WWE has done, for instance, with Roman and Brock, what they did with Bianca and Becky. You look at these spaces, WWE still knows how to tell a long-term story. They can absolutely do it. And I think they need to do that for Cody versus Roman. I think it's the match we all want to see. I think Cody ends up now being the one to take the title off of Roman. But I think that needs to happen months from now, not in the next pay-per-view let's not waste that moment let's build cody let's give cody an opportunity to compete against some other major wwe superstars and then we make this moment happen just my thoughts but i thought that was a great way to start the show with seth interrupting him simply saying welcome home oh man i thought that was brilliant and well done now, with that said, the thing about Raw After Mania is it is supposed to give us some surprises, some returns, some moments that we didn't expect. So let's kind of build on whether or not Raw actually did that. For one, we saw the debut of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, who we didn't recognize at first until you looked at him, is Elias. Elias with a shaved face, Elias with a new look, Elias who actually with this look 
looks like Damien Sandow. And when I looked at him at first, I was like, Damien Sandow is back? But no, indeed, it is Elias. With that said, this whole, I'm not Elias, I'm Elias's brother, I'm Ezekiel, kind of wild, kind of weird, worked for the moment. But it's really not giving us much of a clue in terms of who this new character is. It's just kind of an introduction, which I can live with, because let me just say this. Be reminded that it was, I guess now, two years ago, maybe even three, that right after Mania, we started to see these vignettes and introductions to this new Bray Wyatt situation, which over time we ended up loving significantly. So maybe that might be the case with Ezekiel. I'm not going to throw judgment on that just yet because history has said, give it time. So we'll give it time. Other big moments in terms of surprises and returns. There were a couple of turns that happened. It seems like there's a turn getting ready to happen for Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan, which I love this team of Rhea and Liv. I think they are going to be great opponents for the new tag champions, Sasha and Naomi. I think Rhea Ripley is far better as a solo competitor than a tag competitor, and that'll probably play itself out next week when they get their title match. I imagine they will lose. I imagine that's where that team will break up, and Rhea can now go and pursue singles gold, which, by the way, the rivalry we all need to see is Rhea and Bianca. And speaking of Bianca, Bianca Belair made her address to the WWE Universe and in so doing, revealed her black eye, which I was wondering whether or not they would do that, but they did. The black eye came from that sunset flip kick that wasn't supposed to be a kick, but turned into a kick directly into the face of Bianca Belair at WrestleMania. I think it makes Bianca look even tougher, right? Kind of like the whole broken nose, bloody moment that happened for Becky Lynch. So that's incredible. Oddly enough, Becky Lynch was not present at Raw. So I don't know if she's just taking some time off or what's happening. But I think it's going to be interesting to watch where all of this goes. With that said, and I've not said this publicly, but I certainly felt it when I watched Raw. I'm going to need some sort of change in terms of pace for the promos for Bianca. I don't know if she was deliberately trying to take that kind of time on Raw or what, but it felt long and it felt like her thoughts couldn't be gathered properly and I didn't feel like it was resonating or connecting. And so I, I want that to be fixed because I need Bianca to win. And I don't know that Bianca has been known at this point for, you know, the greatest promos. But now that you're champion again and we've been riding with you, we want this championship reign to work better than the first one. And I thought the first one worked well, but I thought she had an absence of opponents there. And I think we're going to have to figure out how we keep Bianca as a face but without the super, I don't know. You guys get it. If you don't get it, hit me up and let me know. But yeah, I think something's going to have to change with Bianca and her promos. All right, we're going to hit the second half of Raw and some other fallouts from WrestleMania when we come back. 
I've known Dylan since he was 15. I've known what a crazy fanatic he's been. He never just went and played. So what are you doing? Well, you know, I gotta plan the show first. He wants to be the guy shaping. Dylan used to run shows back in his hometown and ever since he moved to Atlanta, I know that he's been really wanting to start his own company here. I had that fear of not being what's interesting in Atlanta. I said, I'm gonna start my own wrestling promotion. You need to get in a room with this guy. Because at the end of the day, wrestling had grown stale in Georgia. I'm like, dude, this guy's ruffling everybody's feathers. Dylan learned that I'm impatient and I announced that we were gonna start a promotion 90 days later. And I knew that I had no content. But then I started to see all the things that he was doing. It was starting to look really professional. Gary had stirred up so much shit. We were gonna be the laughing stock of the entire city if we didn't deliver. Perceptions, reality. How did we get on Southern an Honor? What was the process of them walking over there like, I'm gonna do that? I thought, honestly, he was dead. You hear his brain swelling. I literally thought Southern Honor was probably done. You always told me, if you don't like an idea, come up with a better idea. You're telling me you won't listen to the idea? And we're gonna pack 1,000 people! I couldn't wait for an answer from Chris. We weren't sure. No confirmation. How about that? The lights are going out here. The first indie show I've ever done in 23 years was with Southern Honor, and now everyone's talking about this company. Nothing bigger than that's ever gonna happen here. A few minutes later, it was extremely hard to maintain relationships because I was working with Gary. I don't know that they would go to war for me. They would go to war for Dylan. Finally, this year's going to be mine. COVID. I can honestly say my last match will be here just because Southern Honor is that special to me. So many things that have happened in my life that you could write on paper and it wouldn't read as a book. And Southern Honor is just another chapter. As long as there's a them and there's a you, there will always be a S-H-W. Attention wrestling fans, join us Friday, April 8th for SHW 38, live at the Action Building in Canton, Georgia. Oh, and did we mention, this is a free show. That's right, it's our way of thanking you, the fans, for your support over the past three and a half years. Don't miss Owen Knight as he defends his Southern Honor Championship against number one contender, Cyrus the Destroyer. Plus, after months of mind games from Tank and the Reverend, Gunnar Miller will finally get his hands on the Bloodbath Behemoth, and for the first First time ever, All-Star Special will do battle with Matt and Joey Lynch. Also in action, Joe Black, Jordan Kingsley, Carly Bravo, and more. Free tickets will be available at the door the night of the show starting at 5.30. First two rows available on a first-come, first-served basis. Remaining tickets will be general admission. Doors open at 7, bell time at 8. Let's pack the action building for another great night of professional wrestling. Trust us, you don't want to miss this show. SHW, this is our wrestling. All right, we're continuing our look at the Raw after WrestleMania. Did it deliver? Did it not? Well, one thing it finally delivered to us is the presence of Veer Mahan. So we've been seeing these vignettes that Veer is coming for probably six months. It's the longest buildup we've seen for someone. And so the question now is, did it pay off? Well, before I talk about whether or not it paid off, I have to talk about this match between The Miz and Dominic Mysterio. That match was super fast, and I don't know why it was super fast, uh, other than maybe to make room for Veer Mahan, but 
It wasn't a good look to me. I mean, The Miz got the win, but why are we having a two-minute squash match with two guys who were just at Mania the night before? Kind of odd to me, but that's what happened. And so now we get the presence of Veer Mahan. We can't tell if Veer's going to side with The Miz or if he's going to side with the Mysterios. He clearly decides to do his own thing. As Miz jumps out of the ring, he then attacks the Mysterios. And I'll say this, I'm not crazy about them getting ready to serve up the Mysterios to Veer Mahan. I don't think there's any way that Rey Mysterio wins their match next week. And so, I yeah, I don't know. Veer Mahan, part of me is interested in him talking to see if that's going to resonate and connect with us. But I think bigger than that, I think he's going to need a manager. I think he needs a talking piece. And I don't know. We'll see if it's interesting enough or not. What we didn't see, we didn't see Bailey. We didn't see any other new superstars show up. We did see a heel turn of sorts for MVP who turned on Bobby Lashley. And I'm kind of mind blown about that. Like, why? I don't understand the why, and I don't know what this means. I don't know if this means the breaking up of one of the most important partnerships we've seen in the modern era, but I like MVP with Bobby Lashley. I know Lashley seems to be turning to the good side, but I still like MVP with him. I don't like MVP siding with Omas, though Omas has desperately needed guidance. So this will actually probably work in Omas's favor as they now go after Bobby Lashley. We have a whole program here and we see what happens. I think it'll be interesting, uh, but I don't like MVP against Bobby Lashley. I just feel like now everything connected to that Hurt Business was thrown out of the window and I don't see the reason why. Just doesn't make sense to me. But maybe time will tell as we have learned with WWE. Some other matches happened that were okay. They aren't exactly memorable to me. And so to me, the other piece was we're book ended on the front end with Cody Rhodes and on the back end with our tribal chief, the undisputed WWE Universal Champion Roman Reigns. Side note, I'm not sure if I like this name for the title, but I think it's probably the easiest way for them to acknowledge the combination of the WWE and Universal Championship by calling themselves the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Will it result in a new belt? I don't know. I think right now the optics of having both belts is always a good thing. It's, again, kind of like the optics that would happen in boxing when they would be the undisputed champion and they held the title for, you know, the WBA and the WBC and the IBF or whatever other organizations were existing for boxing. The multiple belts is a great look. And so the problem for me, though, is that the belts are so similar that the only difference is the color. Will that be a thing? I don't know. They've got time to figure that out. But right now, having both belts makes a lot of sense. Roman being on Raw and SmackDown obviously makes a lot of sense. I mean, it definitely seems like that's going to beef up his workload if he has to appear on both shows every week. I don't know what all that means. But with that said, as much as I love Roman's promos, I kind of wanted something more to happen. I felt like it was kind of a cliffhanger of sorts and we didn't really get much information other than to tune into SmackDown Friday night 
to see what's next for Roman Reigns. So obviously we'll do that. And obviously they're pushing people to check out SmackDown. SmackDown should be a pretty epic show for sure. But with that said, all in all, I felt like the Raw after Mania didn't feel like the traditional Raw after Mania, which is raucous, which is over the top. By the way, one thing I really liked, I like where this thing with Edge and Damian Priest is going. And I love the subtle thing that Edge said when he called Damian Priest the punishment for other people obviously a reference to his former persona in ring of honor as punishment martinez brilliant move from edge and this idea of them forming a faction some are calling it ministry of darkness 2.0 whatever it is it makes a lot of sense and i am loving this so i'll say this one thing that wwe historically has done well is dark stuff and that's probably something i shouldn't say but it's true they've done dark angles the ministry of darkness the whole bray wyatt situation uh and the wyatt family like all of these things that are dark they seem to do that really really well if edge is at the creative helm for this i'm going to absolutely love it so i'm looking forward to seeing where this goes what they're going to call themselves damian priest makes so much sense since he you know has this whole thing where he's wrestling with his good side and his bad side and lately he's been yielding to the bad side to have someone like edge leading that that's going to be phenomenal folks so i'm looking forward to seeing where that's going as we've got the genesis of something very very special but all in all the raw after mania was not nearly as great as it could have been i would have preferred something a little bit more exciting all right one more thing before we go and that is just kind of some other reflections on wrestlemania itself gotta shout out wwe because finally them moving officially to two-day wrestlemanias i think really works it's a page out of the book of new japan pro wrestling with how they handled wrestle kingdom and i think that's brilliant think about it wrestlemania had gone to be too long a six-hour show is too much for anybody to endure breaking it up into two four-hour shows or two three-and-a-half-hour shows gives people an opportunity to re-up on their energy and the like. Now, whether people choose to go to some of the other wrestling events that are there is up to them, but I think it's a big win. The other big win that comes out of it is two days you now get to really beef up the stats about WrestleMania. You get to make twice the money that you would have made in a normal WrestleMania setting. You get to talk about twice the attendance. Think about this. Over a two-day period, you had 150,000 people showing up for WrestleMania. Now, some of them were the same people. Some of them were different people. None of that matters because what the stats say is two days, 77,000 one day, 78,000 the next. That's a massive win. Let's look at another directional thing that we got from WrestleMania. This is the first WrestleMania since WrestleMania 34 where the two winners of the Royal Rumble did not win the championship at WrestleMania. Let's go back to WrestleMania 34. 
it was Shinsuke Nakamura who won the men's Royal Rumble match, but would lose the WWE title match to AJ Styles. That same WrestleMania, Asuka, who won the first ever women's Royal Rumble match, ends up losing to Charlotte Flair in her bid for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Very interesting observation. I think it's even more interesting when you look at this year's Royal Rumble winners. The men's Royal Rumble winner was Brock Lesnar, who then comes in as WWE Champion, now fighting to unify the titles, and he loses. You also then have Ronda Rousey. Rousey won the women's Royal Rumble match and then came in to fight for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship against Charlotte Flair and loses that match. So it's a major statement when Brock Lesnar and Ronda Rousey both lose at a WrestleMania. However, it's not the first time for that either. We can merely go back to WrestleMania 35 just a couple of years ago when Brock Lesnar started the show and lost the Universal Championship to Seth Rollins in the opening match. And then in the closing match, Ronda Rousey loses via pinfall in the triple threat main event that saw Becky Lynch walk out with both the Raw and SmackDown Women's Championships. So... What does this mean directionally for WWE? I think it's a major statement that instead of them building on the MMA folks, they're actually going to build on their talent. Think about what happened for WWE. Ronda left WWE after that WrestleMania. She was gone for about three years. And then we got to see certainly the rise of Becky Two Belts. In the midst of all of that, we would then start to see Bianca Belair eventually show up. We saw the rise of Bailey. We saw Sasha do some things. We saw some other opportunities happen for these women when Ronda Rousey was out of the picture. What will happen for Brock Lesnar? Is he fully out of the picture at this point? We don't know. Though Brock has been working quite a bit in WWE, is this his last run? Don't know. But I do find it a big win when WWE actually chooses to bet on their homegrown talent. And that, my friends, is something that we should celebrate. And we should celebrate it for a simple reason. For a long time, we felt as though WWE wanted to and found more value in grabbing outside stars. And with that, they didn't bet on their current talent. But for Roman to win, for Charlotte to win, for the two big MMA names to lose, it says WWE is willing to bet on their own talent. And I am all the way here for that. So those are some post-WrestleMania observations. I want to hear your post-WrestleMania observations, and you can do that on the socials, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at The Faction Show. Remember, our three-part WrestleMania recap is out there now, so you can go ahead and check it out and dissect that and the like. And We've got a lot of additional things that we'll be bringing to you, so stay tuned to us here at The Faction. Until next time, representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the Fourth Horseman, John Murray, the EP, I am Gerard Bonner, and this is The Faction. I need my people, here we go.